You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. We have another repeat guest. Welcome back to the pod, Ashley. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back on. Oh my gosh. Our pleasure, of course. And the timing couldn't be more perfect because we have a new social media app to tell about. But before we do, please tell everyone who you are, what you do, who you help. Well, my name is Ashley Pollard and I run a membership called The Doers. And it is a monthly membership for service-based entrepreneurs specifically where we have guest experts monthly. We have a portal of 80 different resources that we use. And I run a few other businesses, a social media agency, a podcast production company, (laughs) product-based business, because I'm psycho. But generally speaking, it's just the membership is my baby. Oh my gosh, we love it. You cover a lot of ground. You're helping mostly people that are trying to get their business off the ground or grow and scale, correct? Tell us about who you're helping. Yeah, yeah. I tend to focus on... I call it like the phase two entrepreneur. So the phase one entrepreneur to me is kind of like, I have this cool idea. I want to try it. I want to see if it's right for me. I want to get going. They're ambitious. They're figuring it out. They're throwing spaghetti at the wall. And this phase two person is like, okay, how do I make sense of this now? (laughs) Like, how do I make money? And they probably have some money to spend, right? Because the membership is $200 a month. And that can be an investment for an earlier, like brand new entrepreneur. So this phase two person is like, I have an idea, I have clients, I'm obsessed. How do I make this work? And so I try to bring a lot of my 10 years in corporate into all of my Google spreadsheets and my Canva templates and all of my, you know, plug and play copy and websites or whatever the fuck it. So all of that stuff. I bring all of those, you know, years of experience into the memberships that people can really just like take trusted resources, get to work, grow their business, scale it, ask any question under the sun. Because what I find is like that phase two person doesn't really need like a $2,500 monthly mentor. And I also don't think that's a super responsible decision. They just need like a question here and there. So what I noticed inside the doers is that people will download the resources and come to the guest expert series and all of those kinds of things. But then once every week or once every couple days or once a month, they'll be like, I desperately need your advice on something. That's what I think is super impactful. It's just like knowing you have a space to ask those questions. Absolutely. And even just watching your business growth kind of from the sidelines from social media, I've noticed that your business has changed quite a bit since the last time we talked. Kind of walk us through how that's evolved and changed since I want to say it's been a year or two years even. Yeah. And there's even more to go. So I'm a really big picture person and I commit pretty closely to the plan. I allow for, you know, pivots and changes and adaptations. But generally speaking, I really like to see it's hard for me to get caught in the weeds of the day to day if I don't know what the point is. So for me, it's so helpful to have a long term vision. And that way, it's like, I don't really care what happens today. I care what happens all together. That's just how my brain works. So I've always had this plan kind of since I began that I want to have a completely free business. And that is the goal that like in 2025 or 2026, maybe the doers is 100% free and everything is accessible because I'm able to monetize the podcast or I'm able to monetize a personal brand. 
to offset those costs. So to start, I needed to like build authority. I had to like test the theories. I had to get feedback and learn. And so I had the expensive services. I had the $4,500 business plan and the $2,500 VIP days and the expensive group programs. And all of that was super impactful, not only for my clients and all the hundreds of people that we served, but it was also really impactful for me from a market research perspective. Like what do people need? What do people crave? What's missing? What's confusing? And so I did these services for a long time. I've grown these other businesses. I started to realize I was no longer the most important asset. It was the things that I keep saying over and over and over and over again. And that's when I decided to really go full speed ahead in the membership. Because if I'm going to say the same thing to 20 people, can I at least say it at the same time? (laughs) Yes. And can you maybe say it to 2,000 or 20,000 people eventually? You know, like it's a factor of scale, right? Yeah. So I totally get that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I have really big dreams for what I want to do with me time specifically, but also with like my full-time team that my full-time team is expensive. Girl, don't I know it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a 20 to $30,000 monthly expense. And in my eyes, I was like, I can either put that price, that pressure on my audience of people who are a little bit price sensitive and force them into group programs and services and things that like, I don't even know if you need anymore, right? I was like kind of losing steam with it. Or I could find clients that pay $10,000 a pop. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, we really shifted into this like narrow field, this like narrow roster, narrow focus with really deep contracts. And that's when we're working now with like some pretty big businesses, which is really exciting. But that pays for the team. And you know, Team AP Consulting can kind of fund different products that we have coming in the pipeline for me time. It pays my salary. It helps us do the podcast and things that we're doing to evolve the business. So that's how I've set it up because I needed to stop like, I need to make money from my Instagram. Like I had to get out of it. It was so stressful. And I know that people could feel it from me. And it's just the best feeling in the world. And the freedom that comes with it. I'm like, I can say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't really give a shit if I make the money anymore. Like, it's just so nice. So it's definitely an evolution, but there's even more to come, which is really fun. It is really exciting. It's been cool to see you like morph and shift just as my team has morph and shifted as well, right? Because demands are shifting, clients are shifting, the economy is shifting, like all of that plays a role. And social is shifting. This timing of this episode, you even rescheduled a little bit later for the, this episode. And it was so perfect because there's a new app. The word on everyone's lips is threads right now. Yeah. So let's talk about threads. By the time we're recording this, it's only been out for like not even 24 hours, but we both deep dive and it was giving me flashbacks to Clubhouse, which is how you and I know each other. No, it's not. Yeah, huh? We met in a Clubhouse room. Shut up, Michelle. Mm Mm-hmm. In the middle of the pandemic. I remember it. I don't even remember that. That is so funny. Isn't that funny? So a social platform that has come and gone, but I think Threads is here to stay. Tell us for someone who is like, what the fuck is Threads? Tell us what it is and how you're seeing people already use it. Yeah. So Threads to me is in its simplest form, like the Instagram answer to Twitter. It's short form text. And of course, we're seeing video, we're seeing GIFs, we're seeing stuff like that. But to me, it's like right now, very like feral and unhinged where people are just kind of like letting loose. And I think it is such a testament to how leashed we felt to the Instagram algorithm. 
And there's so many amazing things that I think are coming through threads, which there's also some really interesting learnings, but some really interesting things that I'm noticing at least is that I'm finding new people. Yes. Which is like, I love TikTok so much. It's because my For You page is not people I'm following, you know, like it's so nice because I'm like, ooh, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? Who's this? And like that curious, like social intention is there, which I think is really fun. But there's also that kind of like peek behind the curtain nature that we love about TikTok showing up in a mix with Twitter in this like short form copy, which I think is just so needed. Like Instagram needs to like stop playing it so serious. And I hope that this integrates a little bit of that like, you know, decurated vibe just a little bit. I'm loving it. You're loving it. Oh my God, I'm loving it. I think it's also giving brands the chance to show up in a way that's more off the cuff. And if the brands are not hiring the person that understands their brand voice better than anyone right now and giving them carte blanche on threads, they're messing up. Because I think the biggest thing that's going to kill your brand on threads is over-engineering it, over-planning it, over-scheduling it, all this stuff. And instead, capitalize on the casual nature, capitalize on the fact that it feels like a text. It feels like the best part of a TikTok comment section. And I think that that's what's so fun about it. But before we get into strategy and everything like that, I think the thing that Threads does right, which is part of the like Web3 conversation, is pulls your Instagram setup into your account to get go. Thank God, too. Like the onboarding was lovely, lovely. That alone, like other apps need to take note, don't you think? I actually threaded, tweeted, like, I don't know what you say, you know, I posted I said something like, not to be a dweebazoid, but the UX UI of this is flawless. Like, it is so nice. I mean, the fact that I was like, thank God all my blocked people are still blocked. Yep. Thank God all the people I follow are here so I don't have to go find people and be like, oh, I forgot about them and I forgot about them. I thought it was so nice. I think it's so great. And this is one of the biggest learnings that I want people to take away from it is that there's so much missing. Messages are missing. The following feed is missing. You know, there's edits are missing. There's so much missing, but like they still put it out there and we're having fun. And I hope that people see this as a permission slip that like 100% does not make people happy all the time. Like we're happy with our 50%. This is so much fun, you know, and we're looking forward to all of those rollouts and all those updates. So I'm just loving it. I think it's such a genius. And honestly, I feel like you can tell they heard us on certain things. It's almost like they were like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And we thought on Instagram and now here's the answer is actually that it's this separate app. No, and it's been great to kind of see how people are flocking to it. Like I think that there's, because it's coming from a trusted source, it's coming from, even though we have our gripes of Instagram, like the legitimacy of it being a meta product in a way that was, like you said, answering people's frustrations with Instagram. Like Everyone talks about how it's impossible to get visible by the algorithm. Everyone's talking about how they don't see posts in their feed from the people that they care about, not even the people they care about, from people that are interesting to them. It doesn't feel curated at all. It just feels like you're getting ads flung at you all day long. So it's interesting because I'm wondering if this is something that we're just going to see like a life cycle of socials in the way that we saw like a life cycle of Facebook and then a life cycle of Instagram and then a life cycle of Twitter. Like, is it just that you think it caps out at that 10, 15 year mark? Or is it really that these companies are starting to listen to their consumer? What's your take on that? My reason for why I think 
Meta is doing this is like kind of the reason I don't like them, which is like this catch 22, which is that Meta wants to be the monopoly. They want to be the Twitter and the TikTok and the Instagram and the Reddit. And while that bugs me, they've kind of like gotten it wrong everywhere. To me, I still think that Reels is a two on a 10 scale where TikTok is 10. It doesn't even come close to sizing up. I wish that they would have just stayed like a photo app and like not done all of these things. But then we get threads and I'm like, oh, but it's so good. (laughs) So like, don't Facebook it, guys. Don't Facebook the thing that you're doing well. Like don't ads it like crazy. Don't bots like crazy. Listen, please. And I hope that that is the iteration. But who knows? I think we're a social media generation. And I think with everything, the pendulum swings the other way. I think that we're going to notice that younger generations I bet they don't give a shit about this. Yeah, no, this is for millennials. This is like threads is so millennial coded. It's unreal because it's a language that we understand. It's like literally a thread we understand. And someone pointed out that it feels like a breath of fresh air because we're barraged by video content. I'm a multitasker. I want to walk my dog, listen to a podcast and scroll something. Totally. So I can't do all of that stuff together because the video absolutely dominates whatever you're listening to. And then it's absolute chaos cacophony in my ears. So I love that threads is kind of this refreshing thing. I also love that the only reason I was on Twitter was to screenshot my tweets to then put them on Instagram. And now that's seamlessly integrated. Genius. Talk about that for a little bit for someone describe it for someone who's like, what the heck are you talking about? Well, I do think that they had to have had some sort of stop putting Elon Musk's platform on ours. Yeah. Because it is such a piece, whether or not you're putting it on Twitter, whether or not you have the Canva template that looks like a tweet, the tweet content is here. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the square on the grid that has like the tweet fake or not that shares educational content or like something, whatever it is. And when you're on threads, you can share that post that you posted directly to your stories, directly to a post. It's branded, which I do hope in the future you can change the branded background and upload your own. You've got to be able to. I love the snake. It's not my jam. So, you know, I just think it's so smart because now they get to see their threads in Instagram, you know, and they're like, get out of here. And they stay linked to your account. Exactly. Which is so smart because the click through to other apps, also the irony that when you go to hit share on your thread, it says tweet this. Like, I just love that's such a middle finger because That was the thing that TikTok did in the beginning that was like, share this to Instagram, share this to Twitter, share it on whatever, share it on YouTube. And that seamless lay nice of apps talking to each other. That's what people want. We don't want to feel stuck in a thing. Well, and they've also talked about like RSS feeds. I think that this is a palatable moment of what they actually want this to be. Oh, totally. Because it sounds like we're going to be getting different RSS feeds in one place. I don't think it's going to go the route of like YouTube because then we're cross multiplying with like Google and like shit like that. Like maybe that'll happen. I don't know. There's talk. If you read the verbiage in the press about threads launch, this whole idea of like multiple RSS feeds and this kind of metaverse chatting situation. I do have a VR. So I'm also wondering like, how does that fit into things? It's just very interesting, the world that they're trying to create. And I think that this has definitely obviously been in the plans for a couple years or a year or so. And I'm hoping it stays as good as it is. That's my hope. And you know what? You posted something that I think is actually genius and comes back to what you said earlier, which is 
Threads will show how strong your brand messaging is. Yep. I even made a meme about it on TikTok about threads that I shared as a reel because I can't help myself. But the premise was, this is about to be a case study in brand voice and tone. And if you are a brand and you do not know where your brand voice guidelines are, this is the time to do it. If you're a copywriter and you do this for a living, I would hit up every single past client you've ever had and say, hey, let's do a refresh of your brand voice and tone and give specific examples of how we respond in threads, how we kick off a conversation, how we reply to other comments, how we retweet or rethread something like what's aligned with brand values and what's not. Because I think that that's going to be so telling because not every brand needs to be the stand-up comedian on the microphone. Don't do it. Don't be cheeky snarky if your brand is not cheeky snarky because it's going to fall flat. Totally. And like, I'm having a lovely time being cheeky and snarky, but guess what, bitch? (laughs) That's what I built, (laughs) you know? Totally. Like I made a post that said like, where are all my mid-journey AI girly swirlies? Because like, that's what I want to attract. So you have to talk in the way that your brand functions. If you are hyper luxury, your Four Seasons, your Ritz Carlton, your St. Regis, don't be in there using like slang and memes. That's not your audience. It's not your tone. That's the misconception is, oh, I'm going to do what's popular. I'm going to do what everybody else is doing because, oh, this is the voice for this platform. And I really think the inverse is true. Like this is the time to really lean into how does my brand solve a problem for my people? And somebody had replied to one of my threads and said, we shouldn't be talking about brands right now. Let's just keep it fun. Da, 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 da. And I said, uh, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm also not trying to reach all the people. I'm just trying to reach the right people. Well, and not even that, like me going on there. So I made a very strategic decision that I put my personal picture up, which on Team AP Consulting's Instagram is not. Yeah. I also changed my name on Instagram to say Team AP by Ashley Pollard. Right. And that was so that it shows up in threads so that I can be me in threads, but my business is still represented. And Team AP Consulting has been built being disruptive and calling things out very kindly, but like making fun of being self-deprecating. And so I'm going to be that way. And I think that people are like, oh my God, Ashley, you're being so funny. And it's like, that is a little strategic too, though. Like, let's not beat around the bush, you know? Totally. It goes both ways. I think self-awareness is key. But my point is like, that's brand building. If someone were to say that to me, where it's like, thank God you're not brand building. It's like, don't think I'm not. Oh yeah, this is all, everything is an extension. And I think this is the conversation. This is the metaverse conversation. You can be a persona on the internet that you are not in your life. Like I think about it, if you're a Lizzie McGuire fan, think about it with like Lizzie McGuire and like her cartoon character of herself. But we all saw Lizzie McGuire as like the way she went through school. Then she had this whole inner monologue that was this cartoon character that really said what she thought and felt about a situation. That's the persona that you need to channel on threads, I think. Give that inner monologue, give that really vulnerability. There is a closeness in that. Same person, same life experiences, same views, same morals, same ethics, same core values, but communicated in a way that feels more personal because you're not having to put on like the Instagram cloak, right? Or like this whole disguise of, oh, I'm gonna be this thing that maybe I'm not. This is your chance to, like you said, kind of be that authentic way, but stay true. Both can be true at the same time. Yeah. Because the thing about Instagram versus TikTok is that TikTok is unfiltered, uncurated, and Instagram is filtered and curated. But the thing is that I wonder 
if Instagram can get so far away from uncurated that people are curating an uncurated attitude on Instagram? Because I bet you're noticing what I'm noticing where people are like, how do I be myself on here? And it's like, you already missed it. You already flubbed it. Yep. Or it's this whole like intentionally messy, cool girl, mysterious, which if Instagram wants to be itself, then be the aspirational lifestyle app. Become the Pinterest. Which it is, and it's fine. Right. But then lean into that, right? Don't try to be all the things to all people. Like I think Instagram for artists, for creatives, like it's such a useful platform. And like, I wouldn't be where I am without Instagram. I know you probably wouldn't be where you're at. Like the connections, and the community that you actually can form has been incredible. But now it's like reaching its next evolution. And so if the community building can now be outsourced to another thing, what do we use Instagram for? And how do we use it as a communications tool? Because like I have a personal account as well. And the people I follow on my personal account are people I know from like college and high school and a few business friends and whatever. But it's also like, how fictitious does that feel? Like in a way that people are on it and you know that they're on it, but then there's only a post happening like at a major life milestone. You're not getting that personality at all. Yeah, that's true. It's just, this feels this obligatory. Like I bought a house, I got engaged, I had a baby. It just feels like it's a social obligation that that's the photo that you're posting. And so I think with threads, now we've unlocked this whole other area for opportunity. And because there's not like that feed following feed, you can shit post as much as you want. Like I messaged my friend this morning. I was like, you're going to love this. She's like English major. You know, she was a teacher every year. She is a teacher. And I'm like, this is going to be your cup of tea because you can just go for it. The second you have the idea, boom, it's on the internet. Be careful, of course. But that part is very freeing, I think. Yeah, well, I almost wonder if they heard us so loud and clear where we were like, we need visibility on the app. We need visibility. And what I mean by visibility, if people aren't following, and I know that you are, is like, I need new people to find me. Organic discovery. Yeah, I'm only being shown to my community, my audience, my follower count. And that's been so frustrating. That's why people are going to TikTok is because visibility is there. That's why people are going to YouTube. That's why people are going to Pinterest is for visibility. And it's almost like they were like, hey, how about we don't try to do the visibility game on Instagram because we can't figure out where the algorithm went. And we just like build something new for visibility. Yeah, very true. I don't know. I think it's really fun. I think that the opportunities are endless. I have almost no faith that Meta will fuck it up, but I'm optimistic that it'll take a while for them to do it. Yeah, probably. And I think that once the monetization from brands like the big players get there, it'll change the space. That's like inevitable. But it does give me a little bit of that TikTok, like this isn't for you, bitch vibe. Saying like Lance Bass, I think can break through. But even seeing JLo on there, I was like, get out of here. I don't want you here. This is for you? No, because we know it's not JLo doing it. No. And as someone who runs celebrity accounts, I can tell you it's not her. Like I don't run her account, but like, you know, I mean, we already had two meetings today about like, how am I supposed to show up there? And like, what can you be posting on a weekly basis? And it's like, then let's not. Yeah. Well, now I'm curious. Now, what are you saying in these conversations? What are you explaining to people that feel like that nagging feeling like ugh, another thing that I have to do? Because I have my response. And I know what we told our clients today, which I'm truly happy to share. But I'm curious, like, how are we going to do this part different? So I had a few answers and it depended on the person. So I would say like, quote unquote, celebrity or like big brand wise, we have like five big players. And one of them is very opinionated, let's say, 
And so I said, listen, I'm not lifting a finger because you're going to be meticulously devoured. Okay. Mm -hmm. And with all due respect, I need it to come from you because like, this is not something that we can have a meeting about this thing to respond to the thing. Like you just got to go be yourself. And if it's bad enough, I'll take it down, you know, but like, I need you to like kind of unfilter yourself and just let loose on the platform because that's what people love from you. And I can't do it. They'll know it's me. So that was one conversation. And honestly, like, good for her. Like, go on there. Like, go pop off. Like, people are going to live for that shit. It's going to be all over. And then we have another person who is just, like, very sales-minded. And so for her, basically what we're doing is we pulled, like, four different past podcasts that she's done and, like, pulled out, like, cute little anecdotes or, like, cute little funny things. We already have a copy bible of, like, how these people respond to everything anyway. So we're going in and going hard for her for the first week and then deciding if we want to stay. And then the third one is just like not the demographic for threads anyway. So we kind of were like, let us play here. We're going to get our feet wet. We're going to jump around in the puddles and we're going to decide if you even need to be here. You might not. So those were the three like big conversations. The other bigger brands, I don't think it's going to work for them, to be honest. Like, I don't think that there's enough personality built up in it for us to like really take a voice perspective, but that's what we're doing with those three. Yeah, I think for us, Similar but different. We've got kind of luxury lifestyle brands. We've got some hospitality brands, a restaurant that's set to open, and then we've got tennis. And for San Diego Open, we're so excited for San Diego Open to be on threads because we want to use that as like our announcement tool, right? So, like when the event is happening, you're getting those like play by play, this is now happening here, and go do the player meet and greet over there. Here are the scores. Like for sports, I think it has a huge application. For some of the other brands, it's a little bit more, like you said, it's a little more of a stretch, but the audience opportunity to build a personality, I think is very large and to ask for authentic feedback. Like I think using it for insights. Maybe I'm wrong though. And correct me if I am, but like San Diego Open, they give you a decent amount of control. Yeah. Full control. (laughs) Yeah. That's helpful though. Totally. I did have one brand that was like, Okay, so here's our threads process. We want to put, because we use Airtable, we want everything in Airtable a month in advance. We want, and I was like, no, this is like in the moment. And to be honest, it's full time, which we are. And we do a month of content a month in advance. And so I was like, it's not that. And I was like, get on and play with it. You're going to get what I'm saying. Like it is minute by minute. Yeah. And also understanding the conversations that are being had. Like what I'm liking about it so far that I wonder if they're going to integrate or not is there's not like a trending page, right? So it's not people dogpiling on one topic but it has more of that organic discoverability. Like we were talking about where your feed, you're getting it mixed in people, you know, people you don't know. And then all of a sudden you see something funny and you're like, wait, I like this. Or you see something relatable. And then you're going and seeing that person's account. And then maybe you're following them on Instagram. So it's just more of an experiment. It's like a thought experiment for now. And I think you're right. The difference between social media managers that can take on threads and the ones that can't are the ones that have that carte blanche, like green light, go. Yeah, go for it, girl. Like, let's see what you can do. Yeah, we have a couple. And like, I just think that some people don't need to be on threads. And there's one of them that like, if she were on threads, I think that people would be like, who's running this? You don't need to be here. And then there's others. To your point, like, it's voice, you know, and I think it's interesting, because we think, okay, the voice is pretty dialed in. But I think that it's actually a really great mirror, because there's no personality with this brand that we've been working with for like months. Like we really need to add some flair here or we decide that we don't. I mean, they're making fine sales, but it's interesting to see which brands are really investing in 
a one-on-one conversation with their audience versus like the billboard kind of marketing, which are two completely different modalities. Do you have any standout brands that are favorites that do social media voice really well? Outside of my roster. Yeah, big brands. I mean, Wendy's. Yeah, Wendy's was the first one that came to mind too. Wendy's, Duolingo, Ryanair. I was going to say Duolingo second. I think that those are super great, but also things like Sunday Scaries, Will to Fries, Will to Freeze. Like I think that his brands are always super dialed in. I think a lot of non-alcoholic beverages doing really great. I think that skincare is really out of touch and needs a bit of a facelift. I think mainly because they have to hide a lot, you know, like if you want to be super honest as a skincare brand, you're going to answer to a lot of people, a lot of questions you don't want to answer. But I think that that is the evolution though. And I think that storytelling perspective, and I keep telling our brands this whenever they onboard with us, because we do this project to start is I'm like, we have to establish inside jokes. And we can't decide what they're going to be today. So we have a few tests of how we can throw things against the wall, typos, maybe, you know, we could like do this where we're making fun of each other. We could do self-deprecating, whatever it is, but we like need to have like a shared language, you know? Yes. Something where it's like, oh my God, that so-and-so always says that. And even if it's not a person, it's maybe it's like a brand, but I think that this like shift into, we've already seen it for years where it's like, I want to buy from somebody who I really appreciate. But I think that we're also shifting into like, I want to talk to brands that I can tell a social media manager is running it and they're cool. Yeah, because you have to be also willing to alienate an audience. I think that's the biggest misconception is people fill out my contact form or they fill out their brand questionnaire and they say my ideal client is everyone. No, that's not the point. And that's great that you want to be able to sell to everyone. Everyone is not going to buy. So get focused on who the heck you're talking to. It's one of the questions in our questionnaire too, is like, does your brand, does your audience have an internal language? Is there slang? Is there technical verbiage that's not going to hit with some people? Are there those inside jokes? Are there puns that you're using? Are you channeling an era or a persona? Or are you the class clown? Are you the Regina George? Like, let's be real, right? Use these archetypes, these classic archetypes. It makes me want to listen to story brand again. Because I think that's going to be really insightful. It's truly one of the best talks. Yeah, because again, like that hero guide argument, being on threads is not about making it about yourself. It's about like guiding people and making people feel welcome, right? It's like opening that front door at a party and saying someone walking in and being like, oh, yeah, I belong here. These are my people. Yeah, but like some people are doing it wrong. And I think what it looks like when people are doing it wrong is I feel like there's a difference between laughing amongst friends This is what drives me nuts already on threads with like every single second of my spare time being spent on there, which is like not unlike any of us, is that I'm sure you're seeing it. This thing where they're like, oh my gosh, my badge number is 713. What's yours? You don't care about their badge number. No, it's hacky. Don't be hacky. Oh my gosh, like good morning. My new morning routine includes threads. What's your morning routine like? You don't care, bitch. Like I know you don't. Don't act like you care. It's so frustrating. Is this the death of the call to action? I hope so. Right? There was a trend report that came out, and I always love this trend report, and I can never remember the name of it, but it's something that I always used to reference when I was in the fashion industry. And basically, this man was speaking through the evolution, and they always talk in five-year increments, so like now plus five. And one of the biggest shifts that he said was going to happen is that we are going to stop seeing direct sales. I saw the snippet of this. Yes. So... Direct sales are done. There's not going to be any more buy now, click here, do this. 
it's all going to be so much like we're having fun over here. If you want to come hang out with us, you can. Don't you want to be a part of it? Yep. It's maybe more FOMO than an invitation where it's like the door's open, come into the party, but like, I'm not going to mail you a fucking invite. Just come in, you know? And I think that we're getting sick of it. I think that we're getting sick of the like, are you looking for a good time this summer? Click here for 20% off your brand new swimsuit. It's like, ugh, we get it. Instead, I want to see Vacation do a really sick 80s commercial and for people to be like, that brand is so cool. And for me to be like, that's my sunscreen. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the point. And I think it also, there was an article, again, I don't remember the source now, of course, but if I find it, I'll dig it up. The article basically said, no one cares about your follower count anymore. It's all about the community that you're creating and that it's kind of the death to amassing a following and the focus, the return back to revenue goals over follower growth, which like, heck yes. But that's from retailers, I think, because I will tell you, right, not to like, I'm not arguing by any means, but like, I think part of that is from retailers because there was a client that I supported and I'm not going to name names, but truly one of the biggest celebrities in the world and has a product brand in one of those nationwide big box retailers. And I have seen those sales numbers, less than $10 product, some weeks, 10 units, 10 millions and millions and millions of followers, big box retailer, trusted name, like her face splash all over the marketing, 10 sales a week. Okay. Sometimes inconsistently like that, right? It was not a blip week. And I'm like, I have eight, 9,000 followers, however many followers I have. I've like hovered at nine for years because I don't give a shit. And I can sell $100,000 in a month if I really wanted to. Like granted, that rarely happens. Let's say 50,000, 80,000 consistently. And that tells you sales has nothing to do with this like quantity game. You have to like know the people who are following you. And I feel genuinely that I know most of the people who are following me, like maybe not on a first name basis, maybe I've never spoken to them, but like I see what they interact with. And like, I know generally who they are. Yeah, you're participating in the way that Taylor Swift shows up in a comment section from a Swifty TikTok. The way that you just said the way Taylor Swift does something is like the biggest honor of my entire life. You know, (laughs) but you can tell she's there, right? Like even if she's not interacting, like the way that her comments, either she's got someone really good working for her doing it or she's doing it herself. Well, no, even better example is that on Mother's Day was the day that she lashed out on that security guard. Did you see that on stage? And like the security guard was like pushing on her fans. And so she stops singing and is like, stop it, get him out of here. Like she's like screaming at this guy, right? And so then- the internet loses it, right? They're like, oh my God, Taylor, like, and it was like badass. Like it was pretty cool. And so then that was on Mother's Day. And so everybody that night was like, mother is mothering. Mother is mothering. Oh my gosh. And so then on stage the next day, she goes, you guys are so funny. Don't think I didn't see all the videos saying mother is mothering. And I'm like, that, that is more connective than a billboard. That is more connective than some strategy. That alone will make her money. That piece. Because it's saying, I see you. I see you and I hear you. Yeah, we're all in this. Right, that's the social part of social media, right? It's the social connection, social growth. And I think it also, I wanted to bring back a point of something that you put on your Instagram recently. I think it was yesterday, where you said that you've made a big shift in focusing on selling the quality of your product and not showing proof of concept by sales. Yeah, all year. I haven't done it once. Can you break down what that means for people? Because I think one of the gripes about Instagram is that everyone's selling things all the time. 
and that we, at least in the female entrepreneurship community, got sucked into that vortex, right? Of like this course, this download, this mastermind, and it's exhausting. And it is, it's one of those things where it's like proof of concept as related to sales. Like you're talking about with this example of your client, it made me think of that, but explain how that shift came about and how you feel your business has changed since you stopped using that as a strategy. Yeah. So I had like a really bad imposter syndrome moment last year where I felt like, and this isn't true, but like, I kind of felt like luck made me successful. And it wasn't, you know, like I have 10 years of corporate experience in the fashion industry. I've worked for Prada. I've worked for Oscar de la Renta, Rebecca Minkoff. Like I've worked for really big brands. I've proved myself. I've worked in marketing for a long time. I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I started at the bottom. I was selling $40 calls. I was doing group programs for $300, for $600, whatever, so on and so forth. So I've scaled this thing. I'm proud of it. But there was an element of like right place, right time, where it was like, I started it April of 2020 right when the pandemic hit, I was watching what everyone was annoyed with. I was one of the first ones that people were following me, at least that was saying, this shit is an MLM. Okay. I'm going to teach really how to build a business. And I got really quote unquote lucky is what my imposter syndrome was saying. You know, it's a little bit right place, right time paired with, I do give myself some credit for like and hard work, yeah, hard work. So then last year I kind of was like, okay, I'm doing the service based business thing. I'm doing the VIP days. I'm doing the consulting work. I don't feel ashamed about it. I love the work that I was doing. But I felt a little bit of this, like, am I really a business owner? Am I really pushing myself to the furthest peak? Am I really an entrepreneur? Like, what is an entrepreneur to me? Part of that was product-based, right? So I want to work with product-based businesses. That was kind of the evolution into dial zero marketing. And so I was like, if I can run a business, then I want to run a business with a full-time team and like really demanding clients. If I can run that business, then that will make me feel like I'm an entrepreneur. And I will say it helped. I am running that business. I feel a little bit better about myself. But the second thing that I was like, I am leaning on my money as such a crutch because I would say like, I'm making 50 grand a month or I had a $200,000 launch or I easily made $8,500 today. And so I was like, what if I never used any of that shit anymore? Could I actually sell anything? And that if I can, that will shut my imposter syndrome down. If I can't, I got to get my shit together. I don't want to build a business of people that are like, how do I make that money? I want people that are like, I trust you. I respect you. And I want to use your ethos to build a similar business. Or I've seen the result of your work. I've seen the work product and the work product, regardless of the cost is something that I want a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I like that result that person received or something. And so two of my challenges, one was dial zero marketing this year, which has been you know growing fantastically. And then the second one was January 1, I will not sell with sales figures. So not once, and I used to be the queen of this, but not once have I shown a screenshot of my Stripe. I've never shown my monthly revenue. I've like insinuated here and there on this podcast or on my podcast, but I've never given the figure and I've never done it. And it's made me so confident. It has made me so much more confident in running my business that if somebody says yes to me, it's because I have shifted my sales to fully being about, if you feel this way, I can fix it. If you have this problem, I can fix it. And if you want that fixed, I will do it. But I don't want you to be like, oh my God, she had a $100,000 launch. She's going to teach me how to do it. There's too much at play. There's too many factors. Agree. There's too many factors. And I honestly feel guilty about it. And a lot of my messaging, if you guys are listening and you're in the doers, you've heard this. A lot of my messaging, I don't give straight answers anymore. Almost always my answers now are, this is what you should consider if this is your lifestyle preference. This is what you should consider if this is how fast you want to run. This is what you should consider if this is the kind of business you want to build. 
And so I'm asking these questions all the time on office hours because I don't think it's responsible for someone to say, how do I sell out my launch? Because I probably run faster than you. I probably have different resources at my disposal. I might have better privileges. So there's all of these things that just don't make it fair. No, totally. And you can't compare somebody's day 5,000 to day one. And that's the biggest thing too, because I get that as well. And I think it's refreshing to hear you say all of this because I think it's something that at least I can speak from my own vulnerability and perspective. It gives other people that I'm doing just fine. It gives me vulnerability and me imposter syndrome. Because I'm like, well, shit, should I make a course? I have zero interest in being an educator. (laughs) Kudos to the people that can do it. But like, Michelle, you hate this. Why would you do this? Why would you feel influenced to do this? Why would you feel pressure to make something that you're not passionate about? Like, that sounds no fun at all. Versus going live on TikTok and being able to show somebody, this is how I do what I do. And have every person that's come through my contact form in the last two months mention that they watched one of my lives. Like, that to me is fulfilling. Because I'm just sitting here doing my job. And you're seeing me do my job and you're believing in the way that I do my job. And I had a discovery call today. He's like, it was fascinating to watch your thought process work through a brand design because it's the difference between then somebody asks like, how much do you charge for a logo design? And I can explain to them, if someone asks the question, I'll tell you, we're going anywhere between $7,000 and $15,000. I've been doing this 10 years like you, right? I've been in it. I've been doing the grind. I've been doing the hard work. And we got to here because it took so long to get here. Not because I just woke up one day and decided that's what it was going to be worth. You know what I mean? And for so many people's heart. Yeah, like when I opened up Doors for Dial Zero, I specifically was like, I have to make this priced out of Team AP because they're going to want to come over. You know, my people are loyal. They want to play in my spaces. I totally get that. But we have a full-time team here. We have way too many people to employ. And with all due respect, I want to work with just products. Like there's too much ego with personal brands. And granted, like I have some celebrities on the roster, but we're doing their products, you know? So it's like, I was like, we are five minimum. Now granted, like our average is like eight to 12, but that helped me be like, you don't want to go over there. <laughs> like you don't, there's better people. And there's so many web designers. There's so many social media agencies. There's so many like people doing the kind of work that my team, not me, my team is doing. And I didn't want to compete with the people who just gave me my platform. <laughs> you know, Like I don't want to take your business. Yeah. It's a really interesting shift, right? Because it's like, it's also that leadership shift. And I think I see a lot of parallels with what I'm doing is like, when I make a decision on behalf of our social media clients, like my whole team has to weigh in because I'm not going to make that decision in a vacuum because we're all working on it together. So even though I'm the boss, even though I'm the one that's named on the contract, Like this is a group decision because this is a group effort. So if there's going to be a change in contract, if there's going to be a change in scope, if there's going to be a change in responsibilities, like everyone needs to be on board for what that change is because it's going to impact them. They're the ones that are in it on the day to day. I'm overseeing, I'm lifting them up and I'm saying, you got this, like, good job, keep going. But that's not my decision. That's not my call to make. Well, and it reminds me when I was at Sam Edelman, I think it was, I sat in on a because I had a team under me, I sat in on like this leadership seminar and I've never forgotten this advice. And honestly, it's genius is that if you want to be a good leader, do you know who you should be listening to or parenting experts? Oh, interesting. It is the same. And there was an interesting thing that he shared with me that I've never forgotten. And what he says is that one of the big pieces, and I'm not a parent and I don't want to speak on behalf of parents and like, please don't be offended if I'm like talking out of turn. But, you know, he said like one of these really great pieces of parenting advice is to actually put your children second. 
put your marriage first so that you are nurturing each other so much that that runs over to them. But also when they leave the house, you've been nurturing each other this whole time, right? You still have this like space between you. And if you nurture your kids, it won't spill over into the personal relationships. You have to focus on nurturing yourself and know that that love is going to be seen and felt by your kids. And that's how I view business, where I care way more about my team than I do my clients. And because to me, if I am talking behind closed doors to my team and saying, what the fuck was that? And how dare you? And oh my God, this is so insane. Like how many times do I have to... Like, they're not going to do good work for my clients. So I, you know, I want my clients to be happy for sure. Just like I'm sure people want their kids to be happy. But my goal is if I nurture my team and I want them to be seen and then to be heard, we now are doing, we're testing a four day work week. They have unlimited vacation. Both of them have taken like two week vacations recently. Nothing has faltered. We've been perfectly fine. And I ask them about the direction of the business. And I say like, is that exciting to you? And, you know, if it's a no, I have to decide like, well, if they were to leave, would I be regretting that moving in this direction? But I also want to consider it because they're here and I'm here to stay. And so I very much want to make sure that my girls are taken care of more than anything, because that will be the level of work that they give to other people. Ditto. And it's, we've all been on the other side of that. When you have a client that loves what you're doing for them and it's like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I don't know where I'd be without you. Like, am I willing to throw in a few extra perks? Absolutely. Totally. You want gifts? You want extra story scraps? Here, look, I made this on Midjourney. Don't you like it? I was thinking of you. Like then I'm way more inclined to go all in on their brand than someone who's going to be a pain in my ass, not say what they mean they're going to say, blow off meetings, be late on payments. Like, I don't want to help you. (laughs) But now we're at the point where like, you're not respecting my time. Like, why am I going to go above and beyond for you to like, your money's just as green as the next person who's knocking on my door. So like, okay, like, it's so interesting. And I think business, I mean, you and I could talk for like, 5 million years. But before no, literally, Michelle, we always do this where we, like, we always do this. We get on here and then we're like, and then this and then this and then we can't shut it up. <laughs> so you're reviving your podcast and giving new energy and new life into the podcast. So tell us what people can expect from your podcast. Plug it, plug all your stuff. Do you know when this is coming out? No, that's a good question. Okay. Well, you might be hearing it first, guys. <laughs> so August 1st, we're leaning heavily into the podcast. So for me, it's really the doers membership, the podcast. I have this thing called the Roundtable, which is my year-long consulting group. And I don't put a sales goal on it. The people who need it, it's for you. Fine, right? I don't really sell it. It's open. I don't care. So anyway, my point being, those are really my two focuses, the doers and the podcast which is great. It's so much pressure off of me. But the podcast, there's so much I want to say. And there's so much I have more to talk about. And if I'm not doing these like 40 hours of client calls every week, then I have more time, right? And so we broke it out into four separate types of content. So every week, we're going to have four pieces of content. And one is going to be educational, which is what it has been. Here's how to pitch. Here's how to sell. Here's how to run a podcast. Here's how to you know convert clients or do your business better, whatever the fuck. And then one is guest experts, which you're coming on mine soon. So if you guys want to come listen to the Unfiltered Entrepreneur, you'll hear Michelle. Oh, yeah. But then we have two more. Well, one that's already kind of there, but it like grew a life of its own. It's called my walk and talks. And I basically just started it where I would plug in my AirPods and like take a walk somewhere. And I would just like chat and I would just like let loose. I wouldn't edit. You hear me like almost getting hit by a car. You hear me like saying I'm a dog. Like it's just me walking. And those became like the most popular podcast episodes that we have. So we're keeping the walk and talks. 
And then the fourth, which I'm so excited about, is called Below 14th Street. And they are all of my fashion stories. So in the fashion industry in New York City, there's kind of this rule that like fashion girls only hang out below 14th Street. So it's kind of a nod to that. But it's like I'm airing all of like this dirty laundry, but also like weird shit that I did to get me to where I was, like how I like stalked someone and stood outside of their house at six o'clock in the morning in the freezing rain just to like walk them to work and see if I could get a job or how I like lied my way into Oscar de la Renta to get an internship there. So I have all of these fun stories from my fashion career that I'm starting to share there. So those are all starting August 1st. Oh my gosh, exciting. Everybody should definitely check it out. Follow Unfiltered Entrepreneur everywhere you listen to podcasts. Obviously follow Team AP Consulting on threads. On threads, (laughs) come check me out. It's me. It's not anyone on my team. (laughs) Exactly. Anything else people should know about or things they should take advantage of? Your email list is also great. I always open the emails. What else you got going on? I would say take the quiz. If you aren't a part of my space, if you're just finding me for the first time, the quiz is kind of my pride and joy. I poured a lot. I really tweaked it probably every month since I've started it. And what's great is that I kind of, in my early discovery of entrepreneurship, I noticed that like none of us are at the same pace and nobody should be getting the same advice. So I split my quiz into four segments and the quiz will kind of tell you which stage of entrepreneurship you're in, go-getter, enthusiast, achiever, or powerhouse. And so when I share information, sometimes I'll say, if you're an achiever, this is not for you. Or if you're a go-getter, don't listen to this. So it's my way to kind of tailor my advice to the audience. So if you're new to my space, I would say, go take the quiz. You'll also get proprietary downloads that are just for that archetype. I do office hours sometimes for free for those different archetypes. So highly recommend that you do that. I would say that that's like the free fun thing in my space. Come check out the doers if you want, but you know, it's all fun stuff. Yay. Well, thank you so much for your time as usual. Make sure you follow Ashley, everybody. It's definitely worth it. And we'll catch you next time on the podcast. Yay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time. Catch you next time.